0: Part of it's understanding their perceptions of value. Part of it's also understanding the pain points they have, the pains and gains and what the worth is for that. But also it's relative to other alternatives or solutions, right? And those are things that we all need to figure out. Product Growth Leaders proudly presents the Business of Product Topic of the Week, a podcast that explores product management and leadership topics through interactive conversations with our product leader panelists conversations that will challenge you to think about your thoughts on the topic and perhaps get you to change your mind. I am Grant Hunter, co-founder of Product Growth Leaders and the host and facilitator for these conversations. Listen, subscribe, and add your voice to the conversation every week in the Product Growth Leaders community. Hello, everybody. Grant Hunter here for another Product Growth Leaders topic of the week. This week, we decided to Get creative and actually bring you two topics for the price of one. Actually, I think it's going to get into a third, maybe even fourth topic by the time we get through to it. We started out with a concept of strategic positioning and pricing, and then put a question in on Monday morning. And I just waited. I waited. I was looking for Jason's answer. Right? It was nine o'clock. It was ten o'clock. It was five p.m. I went to bed worried, and then the next day. I looked again and it wasn't there. And this morning, I was putting the answers together for this question. There was no question, no answer from Jason. Jason, I hope you and the family had a wonderful time at Disney.
1: We did, thank you.
0: Well, we're going to put some extra pressure on you during the call to make up for that. And you probably were standing in line at, it's a small role going, pricing or positioning? Positioning or pricing? And what a place to think about positioning versus pricing because definitely at Disney, positioning determines pricing.
1: Well, it's interesting because um, I didn't know the question. Didn't have a good answer. And I think it's because my current salespeople position that everything should be free (laughs) except their commission so I was really kind of is there really pricing is there such a thing um so it really was tricky but no but um in all honesty I would you know I've said this before I would always start with positioning um I was saying
0: that slow like he was waiting for us to like give him a nod to say yes that's
1: what no 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 I would always um start with positioning and then you know at some point you do have to answer the question is there a way we can make money with this or more specifically how are we going to make money with this? It may be indirectly and so where pricing is indirectly uh, associated with it so um, but without positioning um, I, I don't really understand where you're going to go to with pricing because there's so many ways of pricing something out
0: I, I, I completely agree. Actually, one of our newer uh, members of the community, Fritz, came in pretty quickly. He actually, I think, would have beaten you on a normal week. He said, this is a very interesting question. There are two concepts of pricing I see emanating from this view, the cost-based pricing and the value-based pricing. Uh, the answer to this question would be dependent on which pricing strategy an organization is pursuing. If it's cost-based pricing, then pricing will determine how to position the product. However, if the pricing strategy is value-based pricing, then product positioning will determine the pricing. In my experience, the latter has always been the ideal approach. In other words, positioning determines the price. One organization that is doing so well with value-based pricing is Salesforce, a direct competitor when he was working at Oracle. Understanding the value you're delivering to the market and leveraging revenue is key to maximizing revenue. And in our often frequent panelist, Robert Goldberg, responded. And this is, I think, the shortest response Roberts ever had. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, I think Fritz nailed it. Every once in a while, we get an answer. Uh, I'm going to start bringing in some of the other panelists, Danita Wood, my partner, Steve Johnson, Dharma Sabranian, and Rob, and we'll start talking about this. I wanted Anita to get to your answer. Price should be based on value, as others have stated. Positioning should be based on value as well. Therefore, both pricing and positioning should be based on value. I find pricing fascinating and challenging, a lot of psychology and perception involved. So when we talk about value, it's not what we think is value. It's what the customer thinks is value, right? So Anita, I'd love to talk to me about that third component you brought in there, that value component.
2: Oh, well, I was maybe playing a little semantics because maybe positioning is, you know, your question assumes that the position was based on the value propositions, right? What, yep. what is valued by the, by the customers, right? The buyers and the users. So I think maybe I was playing a little algebra too. <laughs> well, as I've, as I've said before on this, Anita,
0: this call is all about semantics.
2: Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So So maybe mine was a little twist on it, but, you know, I I think this is a really complex question and it is something that was always very difficult for me. I think in my early years as, as a product manager, I didn't have anything to do with pricing, right? So until I was more a senior level and director level, that's when I got really involved in pricing and I learned so much and it really like in hindsight changed how I thought about the positioning and the value to the customer quite a bit, right? So I I, I think, um, and I would never claim I'm a pricing expert <laughs> at all. I think it's really, really hard. Uh, but I do think that um, looking at positioning and the value makes it a lot easier. It makes it a lot, um, lot more logical for most people who are pricing experts like <laughs> like our our. our a F- friend, the pricing expert, right? And Steve, you were just talking about his book. Um, As
0: Mark's diving Mark, Mark and referencing that Stiving. was in our yep. pre conversation before we started the call.
2: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I like to go back to the value, which I also think is very challenging to get to because, of course, you can't directly ask a customer, How much are you willing to pay for this product? <laughs> right? How much are you really going to save if we do this for you? And how, how much how much does this help you? I think it's such a long, complex, you know, it's, it's what our job is every day, right? And ongoing is that constant discovering and validation and what are they really getting out of this? What are the, what's the value, right?
0: No, I, I, it have been what do they consider value?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Steve, I'd love to get your take on this. I mean, you've been talking about pricing, you've been teaching pricing concepts for a long time as part of product management type stuff, right? Is value a third component? Or is pricing positioning? Is that just sort of a thing that happens in both?
3: Yeah, I'm inclined to say it's the thing that happens in both. I mean, when, uh, I, I think the 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 thing that we're dancing around somewhat is there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that that uh, there's a lot of stuff that claims to be positioning, which is not you know, our product is a, whatever, unlike the competitors, we have a unique selling proposition that no one, but we understand, you know? Um, so I, I think there are a lot of people who don't really have positioning that we have what everybody else has, except that we like ours better. Cause we built it. Um, We're
0: the Uber for product management communities.
3: Yeah, there we go. Um, but you know, as Anita was talking, I was reflecting on actually positioning and pricing as it related to portfolio. So if you've got a premium product, all of your products should be premium. Yeah. Right. And uh, and yet, I, I think it's confusing to customers. You know, back to Anita's point of value as perceived by the customer. It's confusing when a premium vendor brings me a commodity product or the opposite, you know, a uh, a commodity vendor says, oh, we've got this thing that is super expensive because it's super valuable. And you're like, yeah, but you're a commodity vendor. So there's a disconnect between the pricing and the positioning and the portfolio or the suite of products.
0: Which brings into the fray the whole concept of differentiation what are you known for what do people value from you specifically i remember uh rich satinsky used to always talk about uh volkswagen brought out the phaeton uh this v12 car and was trying to sell an eighty thousand dollar luxury sedan and it didn't do well because people who buy Volkswagens want german engineering at a a value price and people who are going to spend eighty thousand dollars on a car aren't going to buy a volkswagen uh and so it, it totally. brought it brought it in together your your whole portfolio thing brought in dominique who's a director of product at uh otis elevators uh said you know it's a good better best discussion you position your product and you price it based on the value you bring to the customer but in a portfolio you actually do see people especially in the SaaS world having this good better best right And mm-hmm. pricing it based on a couple different positions they have here is the basic here is the medium and here is the advanced
3: uh you know just to throw another p into this conversation the good better best conversation has as much as anything to do with the persona that you're selling to
0: yep
3: that uh with something like wix you know for websites you know the the good program is for one persona uh, but if you're, you know, if you're using it as your entire CRM and marketing infrastructure, you can buy additional options, but that's a different persona than somebody who's just trying to host a small website.
0: No, m- makes total sense. And, I, you know, I think sometimes you can, some companies can cover mul- multiple market segments with, with multiple personas to get that, you know, in, in playing to win, uh, Roger Martin talks about bounty having three different personas, but all in the quality, right? There was people who were never going to spend for bounty, but within the people who were willing to spend a little more than sort of the generic store brand, there was a, the regular Brownie, which was the quicker picker upper. Then they found that there was a persona that wanted the soft touch, right? They cared about the towel being softer to their touch. And then there was somebody who still wanted a basic, but wanted a premium basic. And they actually came out with three different products to target still a premium customer, but three different ways those people wanted to buy in three different price points. Dharma, I'd love to get your, your thought on this pricing, this pricing versus positioning, positioning versus pricing, which drives the other.
4: Yeah, to be honest with you, I was uh, debating this myself and that's why I didn't, I, I didn't know what to write. Um, maybe <laughs> I misunderstood the, the term positioning to be kind of the marketing version of positioning yep. versus the product strategy version of positioning.
0: It's interesting you say that uh, a friend of the community, Zach Messler, who's a product marketing and messaging specialist, yesterday had shared this concept of positioning is sort of the strategic done by the product team. Messaging is a different layer, and then copy is how you translate that into the words. Yeah, right. And and then sort of almost added a third layer. But to to your point, a lot of people look at positioning as the messaging, and even the copy around the messaging.
4: Correct, yeah. So that, that, I should have, I
0: should have put the term strategic positioning.
4: Yeah. So from a product strategy standpoint, your strategy determines pricing. Ultimately, because your strategy is based on the value that you're bringing to each market or each group of target audience that you're going after. Right? Yeah. Um, like somebody used Salesforce in the thread. If you look at Salesforce, they don't have universal pricing. At least they didn't used to for a long time. They used to be uh, target or market-based pricing. Now, if you're in Europe, you had a different... Uh, per seat rate than if you're in the US, um, because they know that the the market is different. Uh, it's not a uniform market, even though everybody wants the CRM capabilities. So in that sense, I would think that you want to be, you want to be priced to your market because the mar- each market will value your product worth differently.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Does anybody have experience? Actually, actually, Rob, before I ask that next question, Rob, I'd love to get your take. Rob Barkman is a first time panelist for us. He's a consultant in product management. You're working with in like some new blockchain stuff for mortgages and stuff. Talk to me about your thinking. Yeah,
5: I agree with the, the rest of the panel on the, on the positioning over uh, pricing on this. Um, I do think at some point in time, and you'll take CRMs though, you're going to reach a maturity level or within the marketplace that you're going to, go, you're going to have to go back to a cost model, right? Or you're adding new features on or new widgets on or something to, to try to drive that differentiation. So it's kind of interesting. At some point in time, where does the maturity of the market or the maturity of the product start driving you into a uh, pricing right or ultimately turn you into a commodity type market where initially the start of the market might have been um more high level luxury or something like that so um again the the position is definitely more important it's easy because you can put uh, a concept around and a concept around the value i can go and then put a number value on that and so that to get you going is easy uh so anyway that, i just kind of throw that out there's something like sneakers is just, is one thing i think about over time you know there are certain styles of sneakers uh, certain things on uh, footwear that uh you would look at and say okay you know what you know that's a luxury footwear or that's a that's just a commodity item on on, on the sneakers and those guys are playing uh at both ends i think they're still playing the pricing game right yeah so anyway
0: well it's it's understanding this the the personas and segments within your market and pricing to that you said something rob that made me think of steve actually right there is something about maturity where you can be the value price leader and and steve this is nothing i'm no no softballs this is truly going to be a quick a question to you you think about mainframe skills right being able to write in cobol and, and work on mvs systems they went through a probably a price curve with the maturity where it, you know for a while the price was it, it was there but as it got mature and other things came in it went down but all of a sudden the whole supply demand thing factor comes into play i know people who have mainframe programming backgrounds who are making 3 or 4x now what they were making hourly in 1995 purely because there's not many of them left is you know do do you think that and i i talked to steve because he had a mainframe software background a long time ago when there were such things as mainframe software uh do you think that that's a typical thing with supply and demand that you sort of get that blip at the end where the pricing goes back up
3: yeah i actually do um and yeah. Across the product lifecycle, you know, we typically show it as a bill curve. And uh, so many people misunderstand the bill curve. Yeah. Uh, the vertical is not revenue, the vertical is new adopters. Yep. So yeah, in 2020, 2021, nobody is adopting mainframe for the first time, but when we wrote programs back in the '80s, we had no idea anybody would still be using them 50, 60 years later. But they are, you know. Uh, apparently, banks are still running COBOL systems and PL/1 systems. And in the the joy of supply and demand, you know, there's a small number of people who know how to do that work, um, and they're there's an increasing need among that small group of folks who adopted a long time ago and never moved off. So, you know, when typically when we look at the bell curve, you're like, oh, this industry is done because, you know, 97% of the people who are ever going to adopt have adopted, but that doesn't mean they've adopted and didn't discontinue. They're still using it. I mean, I remember having a conversation with a company that made ATMs, And all of their systems were running OS2. And, you know, of course, the problem they were having was new devices were coming out without OS2 drivers. And so they were hiring their own people to write uh, modem drivers and network card drivers for OS2 long after OS2 had been discontinued. But it was like, we've got 100,000 ATMs with an OS2 device in the middle. Uh, and, oh, by the way, I read the other day that DOS uh, had its best year ever in 2020. Um, DOS? It's DOS, MS-DOS. Like, DOS. like
0: the, curse, the green screen with a little, little character and C, yeah. dot, dot, whatever?
3: Yeah, it's <laughs> super popular in manufacturing equipment because it's a tiny, tiny, tiny little operating system with no graphical user interface. And all the other operating systems, with perhaps the exception of Linux, um, are all huge. Well, even Linux is huge, but gosh, you can get DOS and stick it on a tiny little chip, uh, which I just think is kind of hysterical. But I think most Americans have no real comprehension of the law of supply and demand. It's not what I want to charge. It's what customers are willing to pay. It's not um, my sister and I have an ongoing argument about, you know, business ought to hire these people because they need jobs. And I'm like, so what? Here, we hire people to solve problems for us, and the people that you're asking us to hire have no capabilities. She's like, yeah, but they need jobs. And I'm like, yeah, I want to be better looking. You know, we're both going to be disappointed here. <laughs> Anita, I'd like to get to my professor.
0: And (laughs) should we have included supply and demand when we were talking about pricing? Does it really have that much of a factor? I know in a commodity industry it does, but in a more value-based pricing, is supply and demand really a major
2: factor? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not an economics professor, strategy professor. Closer than any of us are. yeah, Yeah, yeah. But I would totally agree with what Steve just said. I actually managed products, mature products, where we were the last software company providing those products and you know mature market uh, products stagnant market and i raised prices you know the 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 demand was high they couldn't live they literally could not run their business without our software so we raised our prices quite a bit and s- some products i only had a few customers left on them but they were very dependent on these products we didn't even have to maintain them, so I increased prices. They were willing to pay for it, <laughs> yeah, and they were getting extreme value out of it. You know, one of the lessons that we actually learned is that we had been um, our, our prices were too low. Yeah, they were too low for way too long. So I, I do think that the supply and demand does come into play. That is part of the that is part of what creates value, right? Yep. Uh, not just perceived. That's that's real value you are the only one who can do this for me. And I really need this, it's business critical.
0: That becomes part of your positioning. Hey, we're the only ones who can do this for
2: you. (laughs) Yeah, or one of you, you're the only one who does it well, we like working with you, whatever, you know. You're the only one who supports the system. So we have to to do that,
1: Jason. Well, there's a lot to be said there because then you gotta be worried about disruptors, you know, come in and disrupt that, your pricing and your whole model just by doing something a little bit faster for cheaper. Um, and that's happened in my in my um, area, you know, we are, we are uh, in enterprise software, you know, it's very, very expensive and very, very heavy software. And then uh, then the disruptors come in with a bit more nimble technology, no customers to worry about, and they can do some just, dis- you know, disruptive innovation and really kind of um, mess up your curve. And then it ends up becoming a pricing war and you have to look at your costs. And uh, It it's, changes it's, your positioning
0: it. because you're all of a sudden you've you been disrupted. Actually, Steve and I are, are pretty far along in building a product lifecycle management course. Uh, and one of the things we looked at was innovation because it's one of the things you have to think about. And we created a, a, a we're working on an idea for a, a two by two because uh, you always have to have a two by two where one axis is your technology maturity and one axis is your problem maturity, right? Has the problem gone away and it's, or the problem is still there, the technology is mature, then it's time you have to be looking for disruption in, in new technology to solve the same problem. If the pro, if the need for the problem has gone away, it doesn't matter, right? And so just something to look forward to. Uh, any last comments, Rob, Dharma, anybody on <laughs> this first question, pricing, positioning, which to determine each. If not, we'll move to the poll.
3: Well, let me just say one final thing, which is kind of summarizing the entire discussion we've had so far. As I've said for 20 years, product, i uh, sorry, sorry, uh, problems determine the price. Problems determine the positioning. Yep. So it's like, if A, then B and C, right? But it's not that pricing drives positioning, position drives pricing as much as problem drives both.
0: The value in what the, what the pain and gain is to solve that problem for that persona and the value they see in you. I, I, Steve, I think that's a great way to wrap up this section and move us to the poll. So our poll question started broadening this, right? Strategic pricing and strategic positioning are components of a business case or a business plan. We wanted to see what is the most important component of the business plan. I voted for strategic positioning. Uh, as the three people, we got two people voting for a financial business case. I'm going to start with Jason. I'm assuming if you did not answer Monday's question, you did not vote.
1: I voted today. So there's four on the first one.
0: Okay. So positioning is the four.
1: Yeah. Rob, so did you?
0: Rob, did you vote?
5: I did not vote. Yes. What would Sorry. your vote be? Positioning, would,
0: pricing, business case, it depends or other.
5: Just because Jason did the first one, I'm going to go with the financial business case.
0: Okay, so we're at 4-3. <laughs> Dharma, did you vote?
4: I voted for a business case because I misunderstood positioning to be the, the communication slash marketing version of positioning.
0: I I
4: Would you change your vote? Well, if we define positioning as the purpose and the value and the worth, yes, I would change my vote.
0: Okay, so that's now making it that would be five back to two because rob came in and dharma there steve did you vote
3: i may have voted and having done so i don't remember my answer but i now (laughs) want my answer to be strategic positioning because I, i agree with the statement made earlier that i think so often when we when people use the term positioning they mean messaging yeah but when i use the term positioning i'm talking about you know, competitive differentiation, you know, what is the value to customers and why is ours unique? What? What is, well, you know, it's going back to the original term, where, where is it positioned in the store? Yeah. Right. Uh, like, for instance, I, I just thought of this one, uh, when, uh, when all that fake milk started coming out, soy milk, acorn milk, they whatever kind of milks there milk there
0: are, oat milk, uh, yeah. walnut
3: milk, they, rice milk. Yeah. They don't need to be refrigerated because they're not dairy products. Nope. And nobody could find them in the grocery store because milk is in the refrigerator section, right? And when they moved the non-refrigeration required products into the refrigerator, they sold like gangbusters. But until then, people were like, "You know, I was going to get my fake milk, but I can't find it."
0: So it's it truly made it- to
3: me to look on the fake milk aisle.
0: The positioning truly made it an alternative to milk. I'm thinking about milk. Ooh, this one may be healthier than milk, so let me go with this. If I wasn't aware of it, I, I like the example. Anita, had you voted?
2: No, I still don't get those notifications, but um, I would have voted. It depends. If that's a user. <laughs> I mean, user error. That's my. That's my fault. I'm sure. So I would have, I would have voted. It depends um, on your audience. Most of the time, I would say it's the financial business case. But sometimes if your the metrics are not going to be around the finances, like maybe, you know, I've, I've managed some loss leader mm-hmm. <laughs> products that were that don't have revenue tied to them, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it's just to help you know, build out the portfolio or help sell other products. So most of the time, I think in a business plan, because of the audience, I I would say financial business case, not that strategic positioning isn't as important, but the audience of a business plan usually cares more about the finances.
0: Oh, wow. You just got me to change my voice. vote to it depends. Because it's always,
2: it's always, it depends. It's always going to be my answer. (laughs) We finally put it in. We
0: finally put it in. I thought somebody would vote for it. And, but you just made a great case because I've been a a GE. It was the financial business case that would matter the most, right? Because it's a CFO driven company, right? At some companies, the CFOs sort of control the, the business side, or if the CEO or whoever's making the decision came from a finance side, all the time in the world right? If they're, if they're more well-rounded, I had voted, obviously, for strategic positioning. Uh, I am now officially changing to It Depends. Uh, Dominique, the guy, uh, the product director from Otis, had said, strategic positioning and alignment is number one, and financial ca- business case is number two. The introduction to the business case is a key element to engage the stakeholders, stakeholders to actually read, listen, and agree on the plan. And so he sort of said, other, right? He's, he agreed with it, but he threw in there one that I thought would make a ton of sense is, if your executive summary, your intro to your business case doesn't grab them right away and get them interested in it, none of it matters because <laughs> they're never going to get to it. So any other comments on the business plan? And as we talk about business plans and these components, Pharma any thoughts? I was just going to
4: ask this question. Uh, you put some the- you know, assuming the strategic positioning here is also inter- initially inward or internal focus. Um, when I think about any internal document, I always kind of think about it in three things. Like, what is the problem? Um, you know, can we do it well? Can we solve it well? Is it in our wheelhouse? And can we make money out of it, right? So typically I've kind of used that as a framework to, to in my executive synopsis and say, Here's a problem we're going after. Here's why we should do it. And here's how we can make money out of it. Right?
0: Uh, so you're saying I okay, I'm switching my answer back to strategic positioning. Yeah. Because that's sort of Steve, to me, that's aspire, right? It's it's a could we. <laughs> and before you it's, you know, aspire score is a could we, should we methodology. Aspire being those what are the capabilities we have that make us different. And and that would be something with strategic positioning is could we do it? Right. Yeah. And and how do how would we position? We would probably do that before. And if you can't make that story, the pricing and the business case don't matter. Yeah, I, I'm wishing. And
4: but well. the business case at that point is very very nascent because you go into the market, you're gonna find like you know you're you're gonna get ten different you know cuts on your chin before you determine pricing. Um, There's
0: a lot of understanding and validation in the market before you get the pricing and the financial business case. So. Right. With that being said, you don't have any of it without that strategic positioning. So I'm back to positioning. The need you had me on it depends for a while, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, let,
2: let, me, let me just add and maybe switch you back. I wanna watch you squirm. What's the language of business?
5: Positioning. Money.
2: <laughs> yeah, finance
5: <money>. yes <laughs> finances Thank
2: well you. no but you don't know that I, it still depends I, i'm
0: just messing with the brand <laughs> no <laughs> no in, in when i was getting my mba i had a friend who was a finance guy he's you know on the vp finance track now and the, you know i was like you don't have products to sell if you don't have marketing and product you know strategic marketing you know the, the sort of the Drucker marketing at the time so finance has no beans to count Finance has no money to spend if we don't first have a product, right? What does Drucker say? It's, it's you know, it starts with the customer. The, 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 the purpose of a business is to create a customer and creating that customer is a strategic positioning. Final answer.
2: Okay. I absolutely agree with you. I'm just empathetic with the audience. No, right? I,
0: actually, <laughs> you're just being a, a pragmatist. I get that. A realist <laughs> more, more so. I'm going with my heart. Okay. So any, any last thoughts on this? No? All right. We're going to go to our first question for this afternoon. Both pricing and position, we talked about tying them to value. So let's dig into that value component. What's your preferred approach to understanding and validating value in the market? I'm going to go to Jason because he looks like he's thinking he doesn't have an answer.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was thinking and I didn't have an answer. <laughs> This is a long question. You know, when your questions get more than like seven or eight words, it's like, it takes time. Wait,
0: can I do a little panel test? The both pricing and positioning are tied to value. I thought of leaving that out and just talking to that. But sometimes I leave it out to talk to it and then I forget to talk to it. Would you rather I leave it out?
3: No, it's fine. Fewer words is always more better.
0: Steve, that is our everyday conversation. It is indeed. I write something and Steve puts it through Hemingway and cuts it. <laughs> so, okay, Jason, we've given you some time to think.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. That was good. Um, so, I mean, I always liked talking to customers. Um, even customers that are, maybe uh, they're not using my products maybe I'm making a product that's adjacent, adjacent to what they're using. Uh, I still like talking to them to see what their value is and they can get honest opinions. I mean, I, I like having, and like I said this before, I like having, you know, I think what's, what Steve posted once, uh, I think it was uh, not too long ago, just having a customer Rolodex to, to do that and have these conversations. And, you know, they, everybody likes new things. They all like to see that companies are doing things, but the, the, but you do have to question will you pay for it? Would you pay for it? Is there enough value there to, to get you to not only utilize this thing, but also pay for it? And then of course, how much would you pay for it?
0: And, well, then and that so goes
1: into your um, feasibility.
0: Part of it's understanding their perceptions of value. Part of it's also understanding the pain points they have, the pains and gains yeah. and what the worth is for that. But also it's relative to other alternatives or solutions, right? And those are things that we all need to figure out dharma
4: uh, i have a similar similar approach uh basically i use the pain and level of current satisfaction um so like a two by two like high pain uh low levels of satisfaction is mm-hmm. is an opportunity worth looking into
0: right yeah okay steve
3: you just wrote something that
0: inspired jason there you go good job
3: Um, yeah, I, well, obviously I have to agree with Jason for the same reason that he agreed with me. Uh, but anyway, understanding the problem requires firsthand experience with a real person with a real problem without a sales objective. Uh, and I've ranted about sales as listing points in the past, but Salespeople aren't really geared to, to understanding and validating value in the market. They're, they're geared to, do you want to sell the thing that I'm selling? I mean, do you want to buy the thing I'm selling? Or do you want me to invent something from whole cloth based on what you just said to me with an, uh, you know, a sample size of one? Um, but in my past, I've certainly had many times when I sit down to a a customer and he says, you know, I've got this problem. And of course you don't want to say how much would you pay to solve that? But the question is, tell me how that impacts your business. Um, And yeah, here's a quick one. You know, remember the story of the old factory worker who had retired? So the machine broke They spent half a day trying to fix the machine. The assembly line is down. Finally, somebody goes, didn't old Joe know know how to fix this? And so they call old Joe at home. And he's like, oh, did it make the noise like this? Or was it like that? And they go, it was like this. And he goes, "Okay, I think I know what that is. And he comes in and he listens to the machine for 15, 20 minutes and then bangs it with a mallet. And boom, everything is working again. And the assembly line is running, and we're making money again, and and the the factory manager is delighted, and he says, you know, send me an invoice for any amount. And so he sends an invoice for $20,000, and accounting flips out, and accounting sends him a, 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 a request that says, would you please send us an itemized receipt, I mean an itemized invoice, uh, and so he sends back an invoice that's like $1,000 for repairing the machine, $19,000 for knowing how to repair the machine.
0: Yes, I've heard that with many different, in many different forms and factors, but I think it's true. It's, it, there's a value thing there. And so know- the
3: impact? It's like the, machi- the, the entire assembly line is down. I've got 100 workers idle. Any amount of money will solve this
0: problem. And I want to dig into that a little more when we come to our next question, which is going to delve a little more into pricing. Anita, I know you have to leave us soon. I'd love to get your take on your approach to understanding and validating value in the market.
2: Well, my preferred approach has always been, um, like everyone has said so far, the primary market discover- discovery, right? Um, I happen to be for the first time ever in a situation where I'm working with an organization where I am not allowed by law to talk to those people. <laughs> wow. So it's very interesting. So I'm very dependent on them voluntarily giving us NPS feedback and we're crunching a lot of data, you know, how are they using the product. Yeah. So so I'm kind of being forced away from my preferred approach, which is actually teaching me a lot and I'm grateful that this organization is collecting tons of data and it has people dedicated to analyzing that data so it's that that's very interesting and something new for me you know not being able to you know talk to the end users and um, but um yeah i mean that's uh, definitely always my preferred approach but sometimes you can't do it and you have to find other ways to validate and and you know for the value based pricing one thing from a from a from a sales perspective um, I had a product where you know we were trying to, because the, the salesforce system forced you to put a price in, we were really trying to make the solution value based. Sell it based on how much it's saving that, the customer because we were very good at determining that. We knew the value for the customers. But because the system forced us to put a base price in there, we had to, we had to educate the salespeople, don't pay attention to that number. And they they experimented a few times, and they were actually able, you know, instead of the whatever five hundred thousand dollars, I'm just using numbers, random numbers, an example. They were selling the solution for millions, tens of millions of dollars, you know. So, customer by customer basis, you know, a little bit experimentation, you know, the validating in the market, the value in the market, you know, do some experiments with the product itself, but also with your with your sales process, right, and yep. and changing the mindset of the salespeople.
0: No, I. Understanding value, perceived value, relative value is such an incredibly valuable thing. Uh, And being able to build a good value proposition out of it. Does anybody use like the value prop canvas or tools like that to help express the value and and communicate it?
2: I love strategizers, value prop canvas. That's just
0: because they're Swiss. That's true. (laughs) There's a bias there.
2: Uh, (laughs) I got to drop off Bye,
0: everyone. Thank you, Anita. Anita. Rob, I've, I've left
3: you silent. Uh... Which is okay. Yeah.
5: I mean, uh, I agree with Jason. Uh, I'll go with, you know, everybody's uh, thoughts on here. One talking with the customers is always important as an old six Sigma black belt, you know, Gimba, you got to go down and look and see what's going on or you're not going to be able to solve the problem. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's one. In today's market though, in, in, in getting in contact with some of the customers, it's imperative and I agree with Anita on this too. You've got to bring the data along with it. So you can get anecdotal responses from the customers to understand the impact of that problem on their business. But then you need to go start digging into the data to see how widespread that problem is within a marketplace. So, yeah.
0: No, uh, uh, valuable, uh, great answer. Any last thoughts on Understanding and validating value in the market. All right, we'll move to our next question. We've talked a lot about value. We, we've been sort of dancing around this question, right? About understanding value and supply and demand and all these different things. What factors do you use to determine pricing today, right? We, we've talked about it. We can understand the value, right? Oh, we I can do an ROI. I can do a calculator and see that by doing this, I'm going to save them hundred thousand dollars a year well how do you determine pricing is it that is that a hundred is thousand it, is it it's a shared model right how do we what factors should go into that understanding the value the supply the demand all the all these different things and dharma i'm going to start with you on this one well uh, first of
4: all i don't know you know it depends on what your business model is okay right so um, fat your
0: business model is one of the factors
4: right yeah um let me pause there. We'll go around, Rob, and I can come back. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All
1: right. Um, I'll, I'll jump in. So what's interesting, because I've I've been up against this a lot, and I've actually had to reach out because we are still trying to validate if our pricing methodology was correct, and that we actually get asked a lot from prospects, what's your pricing methodology? They want to know what attributes are key to determine the, the, the pricing scale. And uh, I've had to go to Forrester and Gartner And they were um, were like, oh, it's different for everybody, you know, the value they bring, (laughs) you know. Um, But they, you know, essentially when it came to um, software, you know, their recommendation is don't inhibit use or growth of the software with your price methodology. Because then you'll be easily replaced. And which makes it very difficult for an organization that is selling, especially in the software business, um, in in cloud software to say, okay, how do I price this so that we can grow incrementally with the customer as they receive more value with this, but not inhibit usage of the product because of these these things. So it's really determining what attributes make most sense, what, what Dharma said, what attributes make most sense for your business, but mainly for your customer's business, that, that allows them to understand um, um, scale and moving uh, with your customer. As they grow, you grow. That's the best model, the, the, the end goal.
0: No, I, I love it. Rob, do you have a thought?
5: Yeah, I was just saying, so piggyback on that. So, Jason, what, are you, so let's take a metric there, like licensing, is that, uh, or seats per, you know, for the licensing, is that something you would determine as one of the? attribute you would evaluate
1: so yeah I mean several of my competitors use seats and you know when speaking to Gartner and Forrester they're like seats are horrible because what ends up happening people usually share licenses or it doesn't create stickiness or it really depends how you do the tier of the seats right yeah if it's per seat they're gonna be like well if I add another seat it's x amount I'll just use your license and then having auditability on the software depending on what it is goes out the window because now everybody's sharing the experience And that's not really traceable. And so it could inhibit and it could inhibit growth because customers will decide not to do more because they're limiting their seats. And we're doing that with a lot of our vendors today. And it really is annoying. If there is an attribute you can think of that's not seat based to get everybody using it, it creates stickiness. And then you increment your pricing on something else could be, uh, you know, transactions or processes or some other value mechanism that's associated with that besides just user seats, which seems to be the easiest one to, to do, but the, it inhibits growth.
0: Oh, see, yeah. I, I, I've seen it on a, a situation where what inhibits growth was a usage metric, right? You, you get up to a certain amount and if you go over that usage, you pay more. Mm. And I would see some gatekeeper that would be monitoring it. And like all of a sudden usage stops at at, with the last week because we're going to get there. So I I love the idea of that. Uh, I remember back when I first started to get into subscription product management at IHS, you know, we, I had a salesperson. It was a sales leader. He he was a pretty sharp guy. He said, right. We need to think about what happens to the problem, right? If the problem goes away, as soon as they have your product and never comes back, and, and you solve it once and they don't need it ever again, you need to price up front, right? If it's something that goes away, but then they need to keep updating it, you need to keep, you know, they're going to need to keep it ongoing because as things change, whatever I mean they're going to have to access to it. Now you're going to try to product price for the long term. Uh, so that was one of the factors that came into me, Steve. I'd love to get your take.
3: Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about examples of what you just said. That's, uh, you know, it's like if you take a pill and the disease goes away, then you charge a lot for the pill, yep. right? But if it's if it's high blood pressure, you have to take the pill every day, yeah, forever. Then you you price by the pill, I guess. Um, but you could you you price price it as a subscription rather than as a one-time license. I think that's an interesting metaphor.
0: Well, we were selling information on parts in big machinery and I mean in, mm-hmm. in cars and airplanes. And it's like we their data was only as good as when it got cleaned, right? And so right. They, they they as soon uh, a month passed we cleaning us uh, are cleaning the database up with the parts information, it starts getting bad and bad and bad and bad. And gotcha. so once, you know We know they're going to have to come back to us in three months or six months or nine months. Let's price it that way. If we fix it and the problem goes away, it never has to be fixed again. Get all you can up front, Mm -hmm. right? So Mm -hmm. it's taking what's that pain you're solving, but also understanding, is it an ongoing problem that's going to have to continually be solved or is it a one-time fix?
3: Mm -hmm. Good point. And I also like Jason's point about not curbing usage. Uh, I'm working with a team right now that has MailChimp. And MailChimp says, you know, once you hit this number of emails sent or this number of uh, subscribers, you move to the next tier. And so this client is doing all sorts of work to purge people, uh, bad people out of their subscription base and let's not do too many mailings. And so everything in their behavior is trying to manage and reduce the use of the product. So that's interesting to think of. So I- I'll add a third factor and that is, uh, framing with the competition. Yep. Uh, when I look at pricing, I like to look at, uh, How are the other folks pricing in a couple of ways? One is it gives me ranges to work in. Um, It also gives me something I can position against. So they do it this way. They, uh, you know, that guy over there uh, does it based on number of seats, uh, like in MailChimp, or no, number of subscribers, like in MailChimp. We choose to encourage you to do a lot of mailing, and so our pricing is explicitly different. The, so uh, uh, I guess to summarize, the factors I would look at is less about what the competitive pricing is and more what the competitive pricing model is. You know, they price by the seat, so we price by the cohort. You know, they price by, uh, number of emails sent uh, and we price by, you know, something else. Well, um,
0: and it's also, but it, it, there is an anchor point based on value in your positioning though, that can say, if we are a premium, we can, you know, understanding that anchor point for them. And I would like to throw into the competitive, it's alternate solution. So it's not just a direct competitor, but it could sure. be the cost to do it yourself with that.
4: Sure. That brings me another point it's not just the competitive it's how people in your target market are used to buying yeah um, Good Point. Yeah, right so i was at this you know company that was making software for hotel uh, back office operations and predominantly in hotels people buy tech based on the number of rooms that they have
0: mm-hmm.
4: so most tech vendors you know starting with the pms systems they just sell by the number of rooms but I was, I was trying to sell a messaging software and the GMs of the hotel said, hey, can you just give me a flat rate based on the number of rooms? I said, are you kidding me? What if you're 80% vacant? You still want to pay that? Did
5: they? That's an excellent point.
4: That makes That's just how they're used yeah, to They're exactly. mentally wired. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Well, it's also yeah. how they can structure their allocation of costs. So Correct, everything right. can be allocated yeah. against a room and they can do it rob any last thoughts on on pricing i was just
5: gonna agree with steve i mean uh, when you look at the competitors there's also opportunities to the the best way is to looking at the pricing model not just the number of course but also then seeing what can i exploit in that pricing model and still Mm be you know still think i'm going to be able to financially sustainable that right can i go flat dollar fee yeah. and go get on the, <laughs> the fixed side of things versus uh, versus a uh, variable cost over a period of time that somebody's got to figure out based on transactions or something like that.
0: No, uh, this is this has been a great conversation on pricing. Maybe at some point we do a pricing whole week. Maybe. All right, we're going to get to our lightning round question. The lightning round question today is what is the most and here's my typos. What is the most important thing for a product manager to uh, to think about when doing positioning. And we're talking strategic positioning, the stuff we've been talking about stuff. So what is the most important thing for a product manager to think about when doing positioning? Dharma, I'm gonna start with you because you're all the way to my right.
4: Okay, uh, you mean other Quick than answers. the customer?
0: Well, the, the customer probably is a great first thing to think for the person to think about. You want that to be your answer? When I
4: say the customer, I mean the customer's problem is what customers, I
0: mean. Customer and problem, persona and problem. Right. Awesome, Jason.
1: I was hoping you're gonna stick with customers so I can say problem. Right. <laughs> 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 putting that up on me, I was like, I'm in. Not. Customer <laughs> uh, problem. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna have to stick with problem too. I mean, that's the biggest thing with uh, positioning. You have to focus on that.
0: All right, problem, problem. Pizza, pizza. Rob Barkman.
5: I'm going to have to say problem. I was hoping he was going to stick a customer oh, too. Oh,
0: come on. You guys have to get creative. It's yes and not yes.
5: Yes and yes.
0: yes All right.
5: And yes. No, I mean, it's 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 about focus. I mean, that's, that's the thing. It's about maintaining focus. Um, and I think that's one of the hardest problems with the product management is maintaining focus when others are trying to try focus.
0: There we I'll go that is a great answer. it's not problem problem it's focus. <laughs>
1: there you go you I'm gonna to add another focus. one too so I can okay. have an and look it's getting exciting sorry yes, Jason. Uh, I'm gonna have to say the not the, not only the problem but the person or persona that you're that the problem is uh, uh, associated with.
0: That's what Dharma started with, customer, the the person. Yeah, I
1: mean, the customer, not you know the person. (laughs) not the customer, the person.
0: Okay.
4: I would probably add differentiation to it, which is.
0: Oh, see, there we go. We're getting better there. Dharma's carrying the weight this week, Jason. Come on. All right, we got (laughs) Disney
1: Mind, Disney Mind. I don't know. Customer
0: slash persona, problem, 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 focus and differentiation, Steve.
3: The most important thing a product manager should think about in doing positioning is actually to take a position. Ooh, what what does that mean? That means (laughs) part of your definition includes people you will not sell to. Ah, Yeah, okay. What is it and what is it not? Who is it for and who is it not for? As opposed to most positioning and messaging, which is, with our product, we change the world by yeah. your yes. revenue and decreasing yes. your costs, no matter what kind of business you are. Yeah, yeah that's, the, a, that's the a boil point. The ocean, it the It's the proverbial FOMO that
5: come, kicks
0: yeah. in. Yeah. Right. Well, and building on that, yes to customers and personas and problems and problems and problems and focus and differentiation and actually taking a positioning, I'm going to add relative to. relative to your current way of solving it, a competitor mm-hmm. in the market, in an alternative okay. solution, right? Uh, obviously, differentiation was gonna be mind Dharma, and you just cut the line again and came in. Sorry.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but the, the relative, differentiate, just like focus plays well with actually take a position because you have to say no to some things. I think differentiation plays with that relative too, right? How do you, to do positioning, You have to be relative to, relative to how you're doing it today, relative to your other alternatives, rather relative to paper and pencil, relative to Excel. And so I think actually we got three key good components, right? The persona and problem that they have, focus and take a position. And then with your differentiation should be relative to the alternatives. So I actually think we got a pretty good uh, uh, thing there. Guys, thank you for a wonderful conversation on positioning, pricing, business plans, pricing, positioning. Uh, It's been a wonderful conversation as it always is. Jason, Rob, Steve, thank you so much. Everybody in the community on Monday, the question goes up, Jason normally answers it. On Wednesday, the poll goes in. And on Friday, we have these wonderful conversations. Rob, thank you for joining us. We hope we can join another time. Jason, Steve, everybody have a great weekend. We'll see you next week in the community and next Friday on the call.
1: Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank
0: you. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Product Topic of the Week brought to you by Product Growth Leaders. If you haven't yet, go to your Apple, Android, or favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another episode. And for more great content and to participate in the topic of the week conversation, go to community.productgrowthleaders.com and join the conversation.